Thank you for listening to the Grace Church Podcast, where you can find teachings, Bible studies, and words of encouragement for any season. For more resources, you can go to graceorlando.com. All right, let's get started. We're going to continue our series on the forgiveness that you never knew that you had. So part one was, is that you are forgiven of all your iniquities. And part two is, you are forgiven of all your sin. Okay, so we talked a little bit last week about the verb for forgiveness, aphiomi, okay? Which literally means to be divorced from, and it's sent away, and it was sent away and imputed to Jesus, where he became liable for it, and he was judged, condemned, and punished, so that we would never be again. Okay, that's the verb. So the noun for aphesis is that in Thayer's lexicon, the first definition is as your sin never existed. Let me repeat that one more time. It's as your sin never existed. we like, how can my sin not exist? I mean, I, I, I see it in living color. I mean, I have thoughts, I have desires, I've done things. How can that be? Well, let's look at real quick. By the way, trespass offering is what's lined up for sin of the verb, which is the things that you do. And then the sin and the noun is who you are. It's all about identity. Do you know what they did with the sin offering? After that, there was a transfer that you would have to lay your hands on the bullock and there was a transfer and all that you were goes to the bullock and all that the bullock is goes to you. So you come out with a new identity. Then they take it and they cut it all apart and take all the insides and all the vital organs and they put them where the burnt offering goes and they're burned up and the only thing that's left is ashes. Let me tell you what, your old identity is nothing but ashes before God. It's nothing but ashes. Now, I put this in here. I didn't originally put this in here for this, but I want to show you something so that you better understand because the question is, hold on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I, I'm, I'm having wrong desires. I, I've even done some wrong things. What about this? Well, it tells us in Romans 8, 1 through 4, that therefore there is now present permissive tense. That means whatever's happening, God's doing it. Active would be we do it, but permissive would be God's doing it. So therefore there is now no condemnation, no shame and guilt for those who are in Christ. See, anytime you see in Christ, it's talking about identity. He's reverting back, saying there's no more condemnation, no more shame and guilt. Okay, why? Because you have a new identity. You're in Christ. And all that Christ is, you are. And then it goes on and it says, For the spirit of the, the life of Christ, in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sinful flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law, the law of love, might be done in us. Not by us, but in us. So sin in the flesh, that's those thoughts. That's those wrong desires. And see, what God did is that he knew he couldn't eradicate it because it's part of our body. Now, our body is the temple of God, but there is sin in the flesh there. That's why when we, when we get our new bodies, sin in the flesh will be gone forever, okay? But while we're here on earth, in this human body that we have, this unresurrected body, so to speak, as we have, it is. So what did God do? He took it all. Remember, God's out of time. He took it all, and then he laid it on Jesus Jesus became liable for it. He was judged, condemned, and punished for it that we would never be again. That's why, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Identity, identity, identity. Listen, the problem with people in sin isn't that they know whether they're doing right or wrong. That's not the question. The question is they don't know who they are, and therefore because they don't know who they are, they're not living out who they really are. The problem starts with them not knowing their new identity in Christ. I'm talking about church people. I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about church people. Well, like, we got to deal with sin. God showed me this a long time ago. He said, never deal with people on what they're doing. Ask me why they're doing what they're doing, and I'll give you the answer to show you so that you can actually help them. Because by pointing people's sin out, you're just condemning them. That's the law. And we're going to look at this question, okay, right now, is that, so how does God deal with us today? I mean, if it's, if it's as our sins never existed, how does he deal with us today? I got scripture for you today. We're going to walk through it all, okay? First, going on identity is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have key passed away. Behold, all things are new. So this word passed away, I've got it written up here for you. It is the Greek word parikomahi. Nice big word. And you know what it means? There's been a death. That word is in the past tense, and it is no more. This is why we need to renew our minds to line our thinking up with how God thinks because if we saw how God thinks, we would change how we see ourselves. Then it goes on in a following that verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Okay, I love this one. He who knew no sin, in him was no sin, and committed no sin. I'm adding to it, but I can do that because in him was no sin, he knew no sin, he committed no sin. So he who knew no sin became sin, noun. Hamartia, that's the noun, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Righteousness, dikosune, noun. This is all about identity, identity transfer. This goes back to the sin offering when there was a transfer that took place. And guess what? There was a divine exchange that happened 2,000 years ago that the second you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your old identity was put to death and you had a new identity given to you and that's how he sees you now. 15-year drug addiction. I hated myself, and that prolonged my addiction for 15 years. The second I saw that God loved me and it had nothing to do with what I did or what I didn't do, that changed me, and I've been set free, and I've got 20 years clean today. See, I don't care about people's doctrine. If there's no testimony to prove that it's true by changed life in Jesus Christ, that's all it is, is theology. You can, go to, you can go to Bible school, and there's nothing wrong with going to Bible school, but you can go to Bible school and learn for four years and step out into the real world and it not even help you. I had a pastor that told me that. You know what he said? First day on the job, you know this, first day on the job, a 16-year-old girl walks in, says she's pregnant, and it was, from what I remember, it was from a guy that was an adult. He said all his four years in uh, Bible school didn't help him deal with that first thing that he was faced with when he, you know, when he took over as pastor. Okay, so 1 John 2.12, I write unto you little children, identity, 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 little children. We're going to remember that, little children. This is a term of endearment that John is writing. He looks at them as his little children. He's like the spiritual father towards them. Little children, your sins are forgiven you. Guess what? The word sin, noun, identity, identity, identity. The word forgiven, guess what? It's in the perfect tense. That means it's been done once and it never needs to be repeated again. Are you, are you starting to get a picture of who you are now and how God sees you? Graham Cook has this, uh, this 
uh, recording that he did with David Hessler. He's playing, he's playing worship music in the background. And he says, I want to see you. I want to see me through your eyes. We think so wrong about ourselves. And the whole time God thinks so right about us. And it's all because of what Jesus did. There was that divine exchange and it happened. You became in Christ and who you used to be is gone. It's dead. Past tense is no more or ever can be. I remember I, I had some wrong teaching. You know, the church gave me a lot of good things. One good thing the church gave me is that I realized I had a purpose in life. And after being a drug addict for 15 years and being 30 years old thinking my life was over and that my best days were behind me, okay, um, I realized that you know, God had a purpose for me. And that, that, that helped. But a lot of the other teaching I got really damaged me for years to come. And one of the ones that it was, it was like they kept saying, well, you, you know, that's your old man coming back. And I didn't understand Romans 8, 1 through 4. So I thought that like I was in Christ, but then I was out of Christ. I was in Christ, and then I was out of Christ. That couldn't be any more gibberish than what it really is. How can you be in and then be out and then in and then out? And everything he says with his covenant, it's eternal. You're eternally in Christ. Once you're born again, God showed me that. It's funny that you, that you said that. So remember in John 3, 16, he's talking about uh, to Nicodemus before he gets up to this. And basically, Nicodemus, he goes, man, you're a, teacher, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't even know the basics of God. And he's like, you need to be born again. And he's like, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Exactly. When we're born in the womb of God spiritually, so to speak, which the picture of it would be Sarah, we're born in that womb because it was Abraham and Sarah where all the covenant comes from. You know what I mean? Of course, the law got in there, which, you know, but it was a good thing because then now we see our need for Christ. And so it's like once you've been born again spiritually, how can you go back and be unborn again? It just doesn't make no sense. Forgiven, perfect tense. Now, if you don't know, like people are like, well, God corrects you, God corrects you, God corrects you. I had the worst example given to me when I was in men's discipleship. And they told me that how God works is he's like a shepherd. And if the sheep keeps wandering off, the shepherd eventually breaks his leg and mends it so that you'll never leave his side again. So I had this idea that if I did wrong, God was going to spiritually, however he does that, he was going to break my leg. And you know what that did? That pushed me away from God. That didn't draw me to God. That pushed me away from God. I mean, think of that imagery. And that was like a real popular teaching that was going on. It has no real substantiation to it, as far biblically, but that's you know what people had been saying that time, you know, when I was in church. When he is your answer, you keep a distance because you think he's gonna punish you. Do you know uh, where it says perfect love casts out all fear? For fear involves torment. So, you know, me, I'm 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 the Bible geek, so I go and I study it. It means punishment. You're expecting punishment from God. And you can't have a relationship of intimacy. Oh, you can have a generic relationship, but you can't have an intimate relationship if you see him as one that's going to punish you. As if Jesus wasn't already punished in your place so that you would never be punished again and that there's nothing between you and the Father. And guess what? That's exactly what he is. He's a father. So does God correct? Absolutely. But some people that end up listening to this message, they might be surprised of what correction is, okay? So do you know uh, all the epistles from Romans to Jude, okay? They're all called correction letters. Do you know Paul's style of correction was he laid a foundation of who you were in Christ, and then he dealt with actual behavior. But what people are doing today is they're dealing with behavior, 
without the foundation of the identity, and then they condemn them and say, well, you might not even be saved because you keep doing the same thing over and over and over. That's what I heard when I was in church. Yeah, you, I don't even know you got to be saved. You know, you need, you know, if you were really saved, you, you, know, you would live this perfect life. They, they, and they weren't doing it. So I don't know how they justified telling other people that when they themselves weren't doing it. So anyways, do you know Paul dealt with two serious matters that's recorded? And they're found here. You can take a snapshot after this. Hey, listen, don't just listen to me. Go back and study the Bible for yourself. Are you hearing me? And I don't have a problem with people going and studying for themselves because the Holy Spirit will give you revelation. And when he does it will become real to you. I'm just sowing seed into the heart. And that seed will renew the mind, and that, and that will affect your will, and that will affect your emotions and everything else that comes out of you. Okay? And so, anyways, uh, the first one we got is Hebrews 12.6. I love this. For whom the Lord loves, he chastises and scourges every son that he receiveth. Okay, wait a second. It's all about identity. Number one, whom he loves and they're a son. By the way, uh, there's no male or female. There's no Gentile. There's no Jew. It, it, you're, we're one new creation in Christ. I'm not saying we don't have genders here on earth, but we got one new identity in Christ, okay? So you're loved, okay? And then because he loves you, he chastises you. And then also because he loves you, he scourges you. And he receiveth you. That word receive is meta. Lambano, and it literally means to accept. In other words, whatever chastising and scourging he gives you, in the end, the, re the end result is you're going to feel like you're accepted. By the way, chastising is padio. It means to child train. It's where we get the word pediatrician. It's a doctor that heals children. He's a father who heals his children. And then the word scourgeth, right here, matigo. I love this. So you got to really dig to get what I'm getting ready to tell you. It's not just there on the surface for you to get. you got to research all these other words that are connected to this word. And it literally means to gnaw at. Now, check this out. So if he's chastising you, trying to child train you, and how does he do that? By telling you who you really are and what you really have. Because that will change what you do. If you think you're worthless, you'll live like you're worthless. If you think you're priceless, you'll live like you're priceless. So if you refuse that, he'll do the scourging, which means to gnaw at. He'll let whatever it is that you're holding on to gnaw away at you till you get to the point where you're ready to receive grace. That's why the goodness of God will always come back wherever we're at, even if it's of our own doing, and lead us to repentance. Amen? Now, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his child. Now, Initially, if you grew up in the time that I was, you know, um, that was either a belt or a switch. And this is, this, this is, this is how we think of God. You know, just like uh, Rick, Rick Manis says, he goes, you know, just like he heard go, coming up in church, he goes, God's going to take you back to the woodshed. Man, if God's going to take me back to the woodshed, I'm going to run. I mean, the prodigal son, when he saw his father run, he was thinking, man, God, he, my dad is really angry at me, and I'm going to get that whooping, but anything besides going back to there. But he had the wrong mindset of who his father really was. What his father was doing is running to him, hugging him, and kissing him until the, the son was so uncomfortable with that love, knowing what he had done. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's like, shh. You know, in the Greek, there's a pause there before he says, bring the best robe, 
bring the ring and, and bring the uh, shoes. Put them on my son, for my son that was lost is now found. He didn't see that coming. And sometimes when we're in places that are dark, that's when he brings that goodness of God to change your thinking to, that you know, hey, you can come to me. I'm never going to do that to you. Why? Why would I allow that to happen to my son, my only begotten son, and that to happen to him? And then turn around and do the same thing to you. No, he paid so you didn't have to. Amen? So he who spares the rod hates the child. Let's define that word rod. What is that for us today? Does Pro is Proverbs still applicable? Yeah, absolutely. I love the book of Proverbs. When you see it through the eyes of grace, it means something totally different than there. Because remember, when this was written by Solomon, he was under the law. So you have to filter it out to make sure you get grace from it. Otherwise, you could just read that book and feel condemned, right? Now, let, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Isaiah 11:1 1, that there will be a rod through Jesse. He's talking about Jesus. And a branch will come out of his roots. It's talking about Jesus as the rod. This isn't Isaiah. This is prophetic scriptures of grace that came to life later after Jesus said it was finished and he was, you know, he was crucified. We were crucified with him. He, was, he died. We died with him. He was buried. We were buried with him. He ascended. We ascended with him. He sat at the right hand of the Father and we sat at the right hand of the Father. That's our position today. Okay? Now, Jesus is the rod. Now, let's take this and apply this to Proverbs 13, 24. He who hates his son spares letting his son know who Jesus is and what he did for him. By the way, just so you know, we can't, we can't spank adults anymore. So, uh, my opinion, 13 for the, for the, the male and 12 for the girl, you, after that, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be spanking your kids anymore. That's just my opinion. I'm not a parent, but I'm just, that's my opinion. That's where they have enough sense that you can communicate with them. You understand, you understand where I'm coming from? Because if you, if you spank them past that age, it will build up an inferior complex with them because they weren't meant to have that done to them at that age. Just my opinion. Okay, so going through all this, this is all, you know, it's all about identity. When you know who you are in Christ, it will change everything because you know you're not what you used to be and how he sees you is the same way he looks at Jesus. Remember Jesus in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, Father, the way that you love me, love them. So the same love that God the Father has for his son Jesus is the exact same love that he has for us. And when you know you're loved, your life changes then it's easy to love, it's easy to forgive, it's easy to give. I'm not saying it's always perfect, I didn't say that, but it's compared to where you were before, it's almost impossible to do those things. But when you know who you are, it empowers you to be able to do what you couldn't do in of yourself. Okay, so what's the main job of the Holy Spirit? That's, that's we want to answer that question. I remember in churches, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting me. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. Everything that they did wrong, the Holy Spirit, you didn't need the Holy Spirit to convict you that you did wrong. You knew you did wrong. I mean, it's like, is there anybody in this room that, well, I just didn't know I was doing wrong. 
come on. That, see, we, we got to change the way we think. That doesn't even fly with me. But I, I was like, yeah, okay, that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit, you know, he's convicting me. So it says uh, in the scriptures in uh, John 16, 8, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then he says, conviction of sin because they do not believe in me. Then conviction of righteousness because I go to my Father and I'm with you no more. And then of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. So we know the judgment uh, you know, uh, of sin has already taken place. That doesn't apply to us anymore. The judgment of the enemy has already taken place. That does apply, and we benefit from that. But the conviction of righteousness, that is the number one job of the Holy Spirit, is to let you know you're righteous when you fail. Because when you know you're righteous and you're still in the position that you always were in, it will empower you to bring forth the fruits of righteousness. There's never the work of righteousness. Jesus did that. But there are the fruits of righteousness that come forth by you knowing that you're righteous. Amen? And then uh, last, you know, this is for all the people that still are unsettled about this grace message. And they hear it and they're like, yeah, that sounds great, but there's always a but in there. Okay, there's always a but. Any kind of question I ever had when I knew that somebody was going to come after me on something that I had said, okay, it was always, you know, yeah, God loves you, but. Okay, well, you just took away and disqualified what you just said. So anytime you hear that, you know you're under what we just call mixing of covenants. Okay, it's just mixing. It's taking grace and it's taking law and it's trying to put it together. Do you know what Jesus said about that? He, he said, literally, he goes this, and he's talking to the churches in Revelations, and he says, hey, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Lukewarm is when you have two covenants. God's good, but he's not that good. Hot is the law, and cold is, or sorry, sorry, cold is the law, and hot is grace. But here's the amazing thing. Just like with me, um, I went uh, to a Masonic church and, you know, was learning all this stuff about Hebrew and all this different stuff. And it was awesome. The knowledge was awesome. And I still use some of it today. Um, but I ended up becoming self-righteous out of this because I thought because I did these certain things, that made me right with God. And pornography brought me to my knees. 28 years of it. And it finally ended it for me to where I was open to grace. Listen, when you're open to grace, you didn't choose it. When you're open to grace, you had no other option because then it wouldn't be grace because it's undeserved, unmerited favor. Amen? So for people that would say, yeah, grace is good, but... I mean, you know, and they border on, well, it's just, it sounds like license to sin to me. Right? I mean, come on. We, and we, we, I'm sure one time we even had these questions, right? By the grace of God, he has opened our eyes and we see what we see today because we shouldn't. But by his grace, we do. So Romans 6.14 says... Sin shall not have dominion over you anymore because you're not under the law, you're under grace. That word dominion literally means lordship, that you're a slave to sin. But because Jesus became a slave to sin at the cross, even though he did nothing, but it was imputed to him, that's the Greek word logizomahi, okay? And he was judged, condemned, and punished. Guess what? Now we are free from sin doesn't mean that there's no sin in the flesh doesn't mean there's some things that you know that that we, that we look at and we're like man this isn't right but what it means is that 
even with those things, our identity never changes and we are who he made us in Christ and that can never change because in order for that to change, Christ would have to change and we know he's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. And, and basically, if you don't understand the high priest, the high priest represents the people to God. So if the high priest is in right standing, all the people are in right standing. Even though they're sin in the camp, they're still right with God. Well, in the same way, Jesus came and he perfected it. And it wasn't something that was temporary. It was something that was forever. Our identity cannot, and when I mean cannot, it has an inability to ever change. Amen? I feel like what I'm sensing from the Lord is that he's going to give us a new level and ability to trust that he's going to place in us. To trust who we are, what he's done, everything that we have. Remember, trust isn't based on us conjuring it up. Trust is based on the one whom we're trusting in their character. And his character is flawless. And Father, for everyone in this room, for everyone in this church, I decree shalom over their lives. That you would destroy the authority hooked to chaos in every area of their life. That they would find new freedom to glorify the goodness of God and that people would see us and how that we're not unsettled about what's going on, but we have a stability about us that isn't of this world. And when they see that, they're going to start asking questions and we've already got the answer and it is simply Jesus. What he's done and what they can have. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.